0: to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance axis deer populations on Maui
1: From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Weekend Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan.
0: Officials in the United Kingdom are searching for an animal rights activist known as Carp Karen after footage emerged of the woman berating a carp angler at a lake in Kent. 24-year-old Elsa Jones had just landed a big orange and black carp and was trying to film herself removing it from the net when she was approached by another woman, according to the New York Post. This other woman began yelling at Jones, calling her disgusting, and ordering her to put the fish back in the water. Jones remained surprisingly calm as she tried to explain that the lake, known as Brooklands Lake, is a popular carp fishery. We can't play most of the exchange because this is a family-friendly podcast, but here's a little of what that sounded like.
1: Put oh. that bloody thing back in the water go if it's away. not dead already. Vile, oh. b- you are disgusting. You Is are a disgrace, meat? and you people should people go fishing, darling. You should be drowned, people my love. Go fishing, you are you know
0: disgusting. If you're having trouble understanding that accent, the woman calls Jones a vile b-word, a disgrace, and says she should be drowned. At other points during the exchange, she says Jones is, quote, not even effing human and wonders why she likes torturing animals for fun. Anglers have had honest debates about the merits of catch-and-release fishing. I've heard from some of you who wonder whether it's okay to hook a fish just to throw it back again. But I think it's safe to say that Carp Karen isn't the best spokesperson for this point of view. It's also worth noting that Jones appears to be an excellent catch-and-release angler She has the carp in a long net clearly designed for moving the fish safely, and even as she's being yelled at, she continues to pour water along the fish. She told the New York Post that she released the fish without any further incident, but she did report the woman to the local authorities. Carp Karen hasn't been seen in the area since. I mean, who could berate somebody with the name of Elsa Jones? I mean, talk about non-threatening. This week... We've got legislation, poop, and NIMBY. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week was great. Upon my return home from Arkansas, I took a duck hunting break to hit the field for geese. When the big pre-Christmas cold snap froze the rivers, I had wondered if a majority of the birds would leave Montana for good, but there appeared to be some reverse migrators, or new birds, in the area now. I keep a dozen goose decoys in the old stock trailer at my mom's place, Over the second cup of coffee, as we all stood in the picture window watching geese buzz the house, my mother said, Oh, why don't you just go out instead of talking about it? So we did. Got the goose decoys out by about 9 a.m., slid into the irrigation ditch, had a single live honker walking around the decoys before the shotgun had emerged from the case. By 9.20 a.m., I did a slight spread adjustment as the wind was picking up, and then had five birds on the ground. Decoys bagged up and was back to the house by 10:39 a.m. I salted and bagged the legs and thighs with a scoop of rendered beef fat, then dropped them in the sous vide at 155 degrees for 40 hours. Then brined the breasts for corned beef sandwiches. Feels good to have dedicated lunch meat. Now for the snort report: <laughs> flat out refusal to bring a goose to hand, and she broke repeatedly, as in. Old Snorticus did not wait for the go command after the shot. You might say she released herself on her own recognizance. Lots of excuses on my end, on behalf of her end. Big step back from a near bulletproof dog, which I had the week before. It's possible she knew I was duck hunting without her while I was in Kansas, and this was my payback. Nevertheless, we're back in the field, training, getting ready for the very last of the regular waterfowl seasons and I'm hoping to end that on a high note. Before we get on to the news, one last reminder, elk camp at the Capitol here in the good old state of Montana, Helena, Montana, RSVP at www.montanaelk.org. Wear your camo, show up to the big old canvas wall tent and fire on the steps of the state Capitol here in Helena, Montana. Join hunters from all across the state, for our very own Montana Citizens Elk Management Coalition Elk Camp. It's just a big show of support for each other as the state legislature goes in session. It's very important, not just here in Montana, but in your state, to show our lawmakers the faces of their constituents, remind them that you exist and you care about what's going on, especially when it comes to the critters that we want to have around so we can chase and eat tomorrow. Moving on to the legislative desk. We're going to be covering lots of bills and policies over the next few weeks. If you're listening in your car with a breakfast burrito in one hand and the wheel in the other, good news for you, we'll post everything we cover along with links to get involved at themeateater.com forward slash cal. First up, in Oregon. The legislature is considering a bill that would ban hunting for bobcat or lynx with the use of hounds. Violators would be subject to a maximum of 364 days imprisonment, a $6,250 fine, or both, and a hunting license suspension. Bryant Ashton, who sent me an email about this bill, says hound hunters in the state are, quote, really nervous about this one. Cougar hunting with dogs has been illegal since 1996, and I'm not talking about attractive older women. This bill would be another step in that bad direction. If you'd like to get involved, the bill number is HB 2912, and it's been referred to the House Committee on Agriculture, Land Use, Natural Resources, and Water. Over in VA, Virginia, the Department of Wildlife Resources is asking the public to comment on its new 10-year bear management plan. The plan calls for stabilizing the bear population in the vast majority of the state, while slightly decreasing the population in parts of six counties in southwest Virginia. The Virginia Department of Wildlife Resources will be accepting comments until February 1st. Thanks to Forrest Yates for sending that one in. Also in Virginia, Delegate Mary E. March is proposing a continuous open season on white-tailed deer. You heard that right. The bill would allow the public to shoot whitetail deer 365 days of the year with rifles, bows, or any other legal means of take. I highly doubt this bill will go anywhere, which means it's up to draw attention. Jason Williams, the listener who brought this to my attention, pointed out that Delegate March's parents hit a deer with their car in November. In a Facebook post announcing the accident, Delegate March says she is, quote, considering a bill that would extend the deer hunting season. Most of the commenters on the post seem to support increasing the bag limit for does, but I doubt they ever imagined a year-round open season. If you'd like to get in touch with Delegate March and let her know your thoughts, her email address is delmmarch at house.virginia.gov. In Colorado, the legislature is considering a bill that would create a non-toxic bullet replacement program. The bill would create a program that allows hunters to exchange lead bullets for non-lead alternatives like copper. It would also direct the Division of Parks and Wildlife to educate the public about the benefits of non-lead bullets and publicize the program to hunters. Among other conditions, the bill would require hunters to have purchased their lead ammunition before the effective date of the bill if they want to participate. The bill number is HB 231036, and it's been assigned to the House Agriculture, Water, and Natural Resources Committee. Way down in Florida, the legislature is considering a bill that would require a background check to be completed prior to the sale of ammunition. The bill number is HB 151, and as of this recording, it hasn't been assigned to a committee. They may as well label this one the Boost Ammunition Sales in Neighboring States Bill, HB 151. In Indiana, the legislature has proposed a bill that would create four free hunting days for critically disabled veterans, which would overlap with the current free hunting days for youths. The bill defines critically disabled as a veteran who has lost limbs, hands, or feet, or requires the use of a wheelchair, a walker, braces, or crutches. The bill number is HB 1150, and it's been referred to the Committee on Natural Resources. The Missouri State Legislature will consider a bill making it easier for landowners to receive landowner hunting permits. Current law requires resident and non-resident landowners to register their property and submit an application to receive a free or reduced cost turkey or deer hunting permit. To qualify, resident landowners must own at least 20 contiguous acres and non-residents must own at least 75 contiguous acres. House Bill 334 would remove the requirement for landowners to register their property and reduce the acreage cutoff to five acres for both residents and non-residents. The bill was introduced by Representative Mitch Boggs and has not yet been assigned to a committee. In Mississippi. House Bill 312 would allow any Native American resident to receive a free hunting and fishing license as long as they provide a tribal identification card at the time of license issuance. The bill has been assigned to the Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks Committee and was introduced by Representative Carolyn Crawford. In Montana, the legislature is considering a bill that would codify in statute landowner preference tags for mule deer and antelope. Under the bill, HB 146, a landowner who owns 160 acres or more that is primarily used for agriculture would be allowed to apply for a landowner permit for deer and antelope. The permit would allow the landowner to hunt not just their own property, but the entire hunting district in which their property resides. The first 15% of tags would be set aside for these landowners, and they would only enter a random drawing if the number of landowners applying exceeded 15% of all tags. The bill has been endorsed by the Montana Department of Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, as well as the Montana Farm Bureau Federation, the Montana Stock Growers Association, the Montana Wildlife Federation, and the Montana Outfitters and Guides Association. They argue that landowner preference tags for elk already exist under state statute, but the tags for deer and antelope only exist within the game regs. This bill would bring all landowner reference programs under state law. Opponents, which include the Montana Sportsman's Alliance, believe landowners should only be allowed to use the tags on their property, not the entire hunting district. If you want to get involved, Get in touch with your Montana legislators and let them know what you think about HB 146. On this particular bill, I certainly agree with the Montana Sportsman's Alliance. It makes no sense to give landowners tags that are good for the entire unit, especially in regards to antelope, where many of our units have seen steep antelope population declines, as well as a steep decline in available access. to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more
1: For all things auto, do it yourself, and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today, or visit us at o'reillyauto.com/meat eater. That's o'reillyauto.com/meat eater.
0: Over in New Hampshire, the legislature is considering a bill that would legalize the use of trail cameras for hunting. However. The bill also stipulates that, quote, no person shall take a game animal or fur-bearing animal within 24 hours of remotely viewing any image or video of that animal from a game camera in that area. The bill number is SB14, and it's been assigned to the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee. I would love to get a game warden's take on whether or not something like that could ever be enforced. Over in New Jersey, the state senate will be taking up a bill That would increase the age to purchase any type of firearm from 18 to 21. The state house has already passed the bill, so passage in the Senate would likely send the bill to the governor's desk. The bill makes an exception for hunters who are hunting during a designated season, have a valid hunting license, and have passed a hunter safety course. This will still allow hunters under the age of 21 to hunt on their own. If you'd like to get involved with this one, contact your New Jersey state senator about Bill A-509. Over in New Mexico, scopes on muzzleloaders. The State Game Commission recently voted to restrict the use of scopes on muzzleloaders during muzzleloader seasons. Hunters may use scoped sights on muzzleloaders on hunts during any legal weapon seasons. So, don't go saying you can't use a scope on a muzzleloader in New Mexico you can, but if you choose to do so, you'll have to be happy knowing other folks in your unit can hunt with centerfire rifles. The New Mexico Department of Fish and Game made it clear that the rules pertaining to scoped sites are part of a four-year regulation change and that these changes are a direct response to the quote, modernization of muzzleloaders. Some 17,000 muzzleloader tags were issued last year in New Mexico. Here's my take on this situation. Many people, and by many people, I would think the vast majority would agree that the primitive arms improvement race is very far from primitive at this point. Accuracy and big game killing power out to 500 yards is not in line, which is a muzzleloader joke for you, with the original intent of muzzleloader seasons, nor with the level of take, as in how many animals are killed or taken during muzzleloader seasons when these seasons were originally introduced. Case in point, many states include muzzleloaders in short-range weapon seasons. 500 yards is not short-range for anybody. On top of this, if you want to research this topic on your own, you will find no shortage of reviews, testimonials, and how-tos from the influencer crowd expounding on how applying for muzzleloader tags will increase your draw odds and opportunity. Muzzleloader seasons coincide with the rut in areas where many centerfire, long-range seasons do not. So if you were to combine a super fancy pants, 500-yard, super accurate muzzleloader in one of these high-opportunity seasons, you're going to increase your odds at killing a big old bull or monster mule deer. Here's the flip side. These particular muzzleloaders are flat out for the wealthy. Folks who have either kissed mortgage payments goodbye or never cared about them in the first place. Long way of saying. In my travels, I have only seen a few of these muzzleloaders. They're not that common. Next, what about the folks who need magnified optics in order to hunt? Meaning, those who have poor eyesight. Do they qualify for impaired hunter exceptions? What's that system like? Should they have to? Next, the better mousetrap argument. Let's not pretend folks didn't try to stretch out their distance and accuracy prior to the proliferation of scope sights and metal cartridges. There are currently services and iron sight offerings on the market for those who want to pay for them that still offer to stretch the capability of a muzzleloader much further than New Mexico Department of Fish and Game would intend. Stuart Lilly, head biologist for the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish, told commissioners that recent improvements in muzzleloader technology have made the guns nearly as efficient as centerfire rifles. If the commission wanted to continue to allow the use of scoped muzzleloaders in designated muzzleloader seasons, he said the commission would have to reduce the number of permits it offers to avoid unsustainable losses to game herds. What we're seeing, biologically, is that the harvest is going to be unsustainable, Lilly said of the prospect of continuing to allow scoped muzzleloaders during designated muzzleloader seasons. Lilly said he expects that loss of animals to wounding by muzzleloaders may actually decrease under the prohibition against scoped muzzleloaders. Although scopes allow hunters to hit animals at long range, he said the animals may not give any indication that they've been hit, so hunters may not follow up their shots. How is that different than centerfire seasons or even archery seasons? You tell me. If you were wondering what my exact thoughts are on this, I love it when we limit technology in hunting. What we may never be able to regulate, quite unfortunately, is ethical shooting or following up on any sort of shot, which is really what the regulation of technology in the field is often trying to get to. Will the absence of scopes during official muzzleloader seasons force hunters to take better shots, follow up on those shots, and will this reduce the amount of elk taken during those seasons. Love to hear your thoughts. A-S-K-C-A-L at TheMeatEater.com. Moving on to the immigration desk. The U.S. National Park Service had to close the Dry Tortugas National Park in the Florida Keys after 337 migrants arrived on the islands over the New Year's weekend. Like elsewhere in the Florida Keys, the park has recently seen an increase in people arriving by boat from Cuba According to a press release from park officials, this group was part of over 700 migrants who arrived in Florida from Cuba over the New Year's weekend. Dry Tortugas, which is a popular fishing destination, was closed from January 2nd to January 8th to allow park first responders to provide food, water, and basic medical attention until the Department of Homeland Security arrived and took over. Moving on to the Waste Desk. Whether you call it feces scat dung or less family friendly words, poop can be a hunter's best friend. It can tell you what kinds of animals are in the area, how many there are, and how recently they've been there. Biologists and conservationists also use poop to study animals, and now a new technique might make animal patties an even more powerful conservation tool. A team of scientists from University of Illinois published a paper recently describing a quick and effective way to glean genetic data from elephant dung. Fecal samples have been used for decades to study elephant genetics, but the current process is difficult, time-intensive, and expensive. This new technique allows researchers to obtain enough DNA to sequence entire genomes, but it only requires a small amount of poop to be smeared on a specially treated card. The cards have been treated to prevent the samples from degrading, and previous research has shown that the cards can be stored for months without refrigeration. Which sounds lovely. The technique also allows scientists to access the DNA from other organisms in the fecal sample, such as microbes, plants, parasites, and other organisms. They can do all of this without having to tranquilize and capture an animal, which will make studying wild critters far less expensive and much safer. Moving on to another type of waste... The city of Los Angeles has partnered with a Dutch nonprofit called Ocean Cleanup to deploy an experimental waste-capturing system to keep the oceans free of harmful human runoff. The system, called Bologna Creek Trash Interceptor 007, has been installed along the Bologna Creek near Venice Beach. That creek deposits tens of thousands of pounds of plastic into the Pacific Ocean every year, but the Trash Interceptor is designed to capture that waste before it makes it to the ocean. In the first heavy rain event of the year, all the way back in November, the system collected more than 35,000 pounds of waste. Unfortunately, they still have some kinks to work out. Ocean Cleanup posted on Facebook that California's record rainfall swamped their system. One of the two barriers became entangled with a mooring chain, and the barrier was damaged beyond repair. A number of stabilizing floats were also lost. This seems like a great tool, a super neat invention, It's just completely and absolutely unnecessary if human beings could just throw away their crap. Moving on to the mail desk. This week, I received an email from Colorado resident Casey Martin who told me about an acronym I hadn't heard before or just wasn't paying attention. NIMBY. Not in my backyard. This is a new acronym for me, just another sign that I'm getting old. Not keeping up with the kids or maybe the Joneses. The phrase, not in my backyard, pops up frequently when discussing anything new, any new development, be that a mine, low-income housing, high-income housing, or, interestingly, the state of Colorado's wolves. Before you can say no shiz, here's the kicker. These are people in Colorado's Summit County who voted in favor of the Citizens Initiative Proposition 114 back in 2020 that kicked off the effort to reintroduce wolves to the centennial state. Now that the plans are out, some residents are questioning exactly where those wolves should be introduced. It seems wolves should be in the backyard of elk hunters and ranchers, but not in areas where the large carnivores could overlap with popular dog walking areas and recreational hiking trails. Good news on this front Colorado Parks and Wildlife has teamed up with Colorado Tourism to provide easy to follow social guidelines and maps for the reintroduced wolves so they'll know to stay not just in the reintroduction areas, but also how to use the poop bags found at trailheads and how to avoid those trails during peak recreational use times. Thanks to CBS Colorado for covering that one. And listener Casey for sending it in. That last bit was a joke, right? I really wish the discourse on this subject could be a bit more civil because every hunter knows asking wolves to stay exactly where you want them is just as effective as asking elk to be exactly where you want them during opening day. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Please write in to askcal, that's askcal, at themeateater.com, and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Also, as these storms keep coming through and we freeze and thaw our way through winter and into spring, Remember to check out www.steeldealers.com to find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They're going to get you set up with what you need and not try to send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor Adventure won't wait for engine problems. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance Axis deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me, who want to get your own meat, but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit Maui MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com, and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.